0: So when you hear that cry in the sky...
1: Our Miss Brooks, starring
2: Eve Arden.
1: Our Miss Brooks is an English teacher at Madison High School. She can tell you everything you need to know about the present and past subjunctive, but she's not at all sure about the future. That is, her romantic future with biology teacher Philip Boynton. The Columbia
3: Broadcasting
1: System presents a new comedy. Mom?
4: friend,
3: Irma.
1: Starring Marie Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane with John Brown as Al. Oh, Quiet,
3: quietly.
0: Hello. it of course, Mr. There is someone waiting who will
5: hurry up and
0: rescue
3: you this morning. O.T.R. And now, here is O.T.R.
2: Our Miss Brooks has been rudely awakened by her landlady to tell her that Walter Denton is out in the living room and wants to talk to her. Let's listen and see what's going on.
6: Greetings, Miss Brooks. (laughs) What brings you
7: out so early, Paul Revere? (laughs) British want their colonies back?
6: Uh, Normally your witticisms would tickle my risibilities, Miss Brooks. But this morning I've got to talk to you about something that's... Where did you go? (laughs) <laughs> this blow, boa just
7: blew across my... Just what is your problem this morning? Well, it's not really my problem, Miss Brooks.
6: That is, it isn't my personal problem. But as the manager of the basketball team, I'm in big trouble. Is something wrong with the team, Walter? Oh, not the whole team, Miss Brooks. It's... Well, it's... Just stretch.
3: All right. All right. <laughs>
6: There, now what's the trouble? Uh, no, you don't understand, Miss Brooks. Stretch is our star player, one of the best forwards we've ever had, and he may not be eligible for the big game with Clay City High tonight. And that's why you've got to get in there and pitch. Well, I'd love to
7: help out, Walter, but I'm afraid my midi blouse and bloomers must be moth eaten by now.
3: <laughs> now,
7: here's what uh, better blow again, Miss Brooks. It's back. <laughs> Thanks, Walter.
8: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: It's nice to know that Eve Arden can blow a line once in a while, and she does with the boa incident in this episode. Welcome to another adventure of Our Miss Brooks. This episode is from February 13th, 1949, and it's the introduction of a character named Stretch Snodgrass. Who was only intended to be in this one episode, but he grew on the producers and he stayed for the entire duration of Our Miss Brooks, including the television show. And so um, enjoyed this episode of Our Miss Brooks and the Illiterate Stressed Snodgrass.
1: Palmolive Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair. Bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, is as fond of sports as most of us, but somehow basketball was never one of her favorites.
7: It isn't that I don't like basketball. I just hate it. (laughs) (laughs) This aversion started when I was refereeing a game in teacher's college, and in the excitement, I swallowed the whistle. Of course, it was only a small whistle, but it gets pretty embarrassing when every time you hiccup, traffic stops.
3: (laughs) Anyway, last
7: Wednesday morning, Mrs. Davis, my landlady, woke me a full hour earlier than usual. She told me that Walter Denton, the manager of the basketball team, was waiting to see me in the living room. If I could have had one free throw, I'd have thrown him out and gone back to sleep. But Mrs. Davis wouldn't let me. Come on now,
4: Connie. The boy seems very concerned about something. You've got to see him.
7: All right, Mrs.
4: Davis. Where's my robe? I sent it out to the laundry, Connie. Here I brought you one of mine to wear. This was part of my trousseau. I took it along on my honeymoon. Oh, we had a wonderful honeymoon. Just you in the bathrobe? (laughs) No, uh, my husband was along. Heavens,
7: didn't people talk? You does love this robe. It's beautiful material, isn't it? Lovely. What is it exactly, Mrs. Davis? Ostrich feathers over seersucker?
4: <laughs> no, dear,
7: it's satin. And
4: that big feather boa is worn around the neck. Here, slip it on. Faith. <laughs> now you throw this boa around your neck. So, how do you like it, Connie?
7: Very tasty
3: (laughs) Come on out into the
4: living room, Connie Walter's anxious to talk to you All right But I don't know why he has to drop around in the middle of the night like this Here we are, Walter While you're chatting with Miss Brooks I'll fix us all a bite of breakfast Oh, thanks, Mrs. Davis Greetings, Miss Brooks
7: What brings you out so early, Paul Revere? (laughs) British want their colonies back?
6: Normally, your witticisms would tickle my risibilities, Miss Brooks. But this morning, I've got to talk to you about something that's.
7: Where did you go? (laughs) This boa just blew across my. (laughs) (laughs) Just what is
6: your problem this morning? Well, it's not really my problem, Miss Brooks. That is, it isn't my personal problem. But as the manager of the basketball team, I'm in big trouble. Is something wrong with the team, Walter? Oh, not the whole team, Miss Brooks. It's... Well, it's... Just Stretch. All right. (laughs) There, now what's the trouble? Uh, No, you don't understand, Miss Brooks. Stretch is our star player. One of the best forwards we've ever had he may not be eligible for the big game with Clay City High
7: tonight. And that's why you've got to get in there and pitch. Well, I'd love to help out, Walter, but I'm afraid my midi-blouse and bloomers must be moth-eaten by now. Now, here's what... Better blow again, Miss Brooks. It's back. Mm. Thanks, Walter. <laughs> you two. Everything's ready. Coming, Mrs. Davis. We can continue this later on, Walter. Come on, let's eat. Well, I had breakfast before I left the house. Oh,
4: then would you rather wait in the living room? Oh, no, that was over a half hour ago. <laughs> Hi, Mrs. Davis. Uh, where do you want me to sit? Oh, uh, just sit right down here on my left, Walter. There. Now, would you like some eggs after you've eaten your oatmeal? Well, as I just
6: told Miss Brooks, I already had some eggs and oatmeal at home. Oh, I see. So I'll just have some French
4: toast. You must come over for dinner some night after you've had dinner. I'll make you some in the jiffy. Just drink your juice, meantime.
7: Say, this orange juice tastes rather peculiar. Now, that's because you're drinking it through that boa.
6: Better blow again. (laughs) Thanks. Now, to get back to my dilemma, Miss Brooks... Couldn't we dilemma after breakfast, Walter? (laughs) I'm sorry to bother you like this, but I'm afraid it's imperative. You see, Mr. Conklin's made a rule that anybody who fails a subject is ineligible for any sports until he's passed the first test of the new semester in the subject which he failed. And Stretch failed last term.
8: So? So with
6: a, with a teacher Stretch has in English who's giving him the test this term, he doesn't stand a chance of passing.
7: Who has he in English? Oh, Lady Enright.
6: I mean, Miss Enright.
4: <laughs> well, I'm sure Miss
7: Enright's a very capable teacher. Well, here we are, some
4: nice French toast. I made it from a famous Turkish recipe. A Turkish recipe? Yes. The Turks are famous for their French toast, you know.
7: They are? Of course they are, Walter. You should taste their Chinese kumquats.
6: <laughs> and i have you of this. I don't want to stuff myself, Mrs. Davis. Uh, those three pieces on the end will be plenty. And now about Miss Enright. You know, I don't think it's fair for
7: her to give Stretch a test. I heard she was jilted by a basketball player years ago. Walter, you shouldn't talk that way about Miss Enright. Just because someone doesn't reciprocate the affection of someone who's fond of them doesn't make the person who's fond of someone a monster. And I got that sentence from an old Turkish recipe.
3: <laughs> See, Miss
7: Brooks,
6: speaking of someone not reciprocating someone's affection, have you heard from Mr. Boynton lately?
7: Ouch, get those punches up, Walter. Let's forget about Mr. Boynton for now. Just what is it you want me to do?
6: Hmm? Well, I was talking this over with Harriet Conklin, and we decided to get Stretch transferred out of Miss Enright's class. Of course, this means somebody's got
7: to work on Harriet's old man. Look, Walter, Harriet's father happens to be our principal. You will kindly refer to him as Mr. Conklin. Sorry, Miss Brooks. Well, Harriet and I and Stretch
6: are supposed to meet at school this morning, and that's why I'm here so early, to discuss getting Stretch out of
7: Miss Enright's class and into yours. Into mine? But you know how crowded my class is now. Every time I enter my room, it looks like payoff night at a pyramid club.
3: <laughs>
7: oh, come on, Miss Brooks. we got to
6: hurry down to school and meet Harriet. Now, well, there must be a way to get Stretch into your class so you can give him the test, while I, as manager of the team, sit across the aisle from him and give him moral support. Are you sure that's all you'd give him? Oh, I just want Stretch to feel at home. He's not very good in English, and, well, with me there, maybe he'd get more confidence... Confidence based on the mere proximity to one which in the same subject has always flourished so startlingly.
7: If anybody sits near stretch, it better be Harriet. She at least speaks English. (laughs) But she's so honest in tests. I mean, she has the most peculiar
6: way of holding her left hand when she's writing down answers. All you can see is her elbow.
7: Oh, not (laughs) that I ever tried to copy from her. Oh, no, of course not. It was just a coincidence that after the final exams last term, your neck was so far out of joint you looked like a Balinese dancer.
3: No, <laughs> <laughs> so, Walter, as much
7: as I'd like to help you kids, I can't. And the less I see of Mr. Conklin for a while, the better. But why, Miss Brooks? Because Mr. Conklin holds me responsible for what happened last week. Remember? The fire in Mr. Boynton's laboratory, which started when the circuit was overloaded after I plugged in the electric heater that belonged to Mr. Conklin. What is that? And then the firemen had to tear down the wall when they thought Mr. Conklin was stuck in the heater vent, which he wasn't, because he was locked in the stock room when I slammed the door on (laughs) him. And whose fault was that? Yours. That's what I like, a nice, orderly mind. Come on. (laughs) you see, Miss Brooks, without Stretch on the team, we'll probably lose the biggest game of the year. But what can I do about it?
6: Oh, I told you, Miss Brooks, you can work on Harriet's old man.
7: Walter, I told you not to use that expression. Okay,
6: Mr. Conklin. But gosh, other kids have been transferred to other
7: classes. Yes, but not for such a thin reason. Just to win a basketball game is no reason. Well, but this
6: is a Clay City game. And it wouldn't be so bad if the coach hadn't taken sick yesterday.
7: The coach is sick, too? Desperately. This is the saddest thing since Humoresque. Fortunately, we have an ex basketball star teaching
6: here who's been made temporary coach. But it would just break his heart if he lost his first game. Who
7: is this coach, Harriet?
6: Mr. Boynton.
7: Mr. Boynton? Are you sure? Positive. Well, don't stand there, girl. We've got to go to work on your old man. <laughs>
1: Starring Eve Arden will continue in just a moment, but first, here is Vern Smith. Want to win $49,000 in cash? That's right, $49,000 in cash. The first prize offered by the makers of Palmolive Soap in their big, exciting 49 Gold Rush Contest. Second prize, $4,900. And there are 4,949 other cash prizes. What a chance to win. $100,000 in cash prizes, and it's easy to enter. Simply finish this sentence, I like palm soap because, in 25 words or less. That's all, just 25 words or less to finish the sentence, I like palm olive soap because. Then mail your entry right away with a palm soap wrapper. Easy, isn't it? And remember, thousands will strike it rich in this big 49 gold rush contest. Enter as often as you like. Get entry blanks and complete rules from your dealer or send your entries on plain paper with your name and address and dealer's name and address plus one palm olive wrapper for each entry. Mail to Gold Rush Contest, Box 49, New York 8, New York. You better write that down. Gold Rush Contest, Box 49, New York 8, New York. Get palm olive soap right away to help win a lovelier complexion and try for your share of the $100,000 in cash prizes.
7: Well, I realized that some ancient gossip about Miss Enright's prejudice against basketball players would never cause Mr. Conklin to give Stretch a transfer. But after a brief council of war during study period, I hit upon what seemed like a pretty good plan. I would tell Mr. Conklin that the boy was unhappy in his class because his fellow students were picking on him, as I told Walter and Harriet. In a democratically operated high school, no boy should be forced to remain in surroundings that are not conducive to his getting the most out of the school curriculum.
6: Bravo, Miss Brooks,
7: bravo. Yeah, bravo. What did you say? Now, when Stretch gets here, we'll have to find out just what annoys him the most in his English class. Oh, that's him now. Come in, Stretch. Hi, Stretch. You know Miss Brooks. Hi. Hi. (laughs) We haven't too much time, so I'll come right to the point. What bothers you in Miss Enright's class?
8: Bothers me?
6: Yeah, they treat you terrible, don't they? The other kids, I mean.
8: The other kids? (laughs) (laughs)
6: They pick on you and call you names, don't they? Names?
7: (laughs) This is the most backward-forward I ever met. the kids do call you one name we all know about, Stretch. Now, why do you suppose they tack that on you?
8: I don't know. Maybe it's because I weigh 112 pounds
7: and I'm (laughs) 6'5". Serves me right for getting over the flu last year. Look, we're trying to help you become eligible for the Clay City game.
8: You want to play in it, don't you? I sure do, Miss Brooks. There isn't anything I wouldn't do to... Well, then keep quiet and listen. Sorry, Walter. Go ahead, Miss Brooks.
7: Well, first of all, I hate nicknames. What's your real name?
8: Fabian Snodgrass.
7: (laughs) Fabian Snodgrass? That's right. Look, Stretch. (laughs) We really want to help you. The kids here feel that if I give you the exam, you'll stand a better chance of passing. Not that there's going to be any funny business, you understand.
8: Oh, I understand perfectly, Miss Brooks. Walter wouldn't want any part of anything that wasn't strictly on the up and up.
7: You said it, Stretch.
6: You just listen to old Walter and you'll be all right.
8: I always do, don't I, Walter? You're our manager and you always know what's best for all of us. Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
3: <laughs>
8: and if you don't
7: listen, Walter won't tell you about the rabbits anymore. <laughs> get back to your scholastic achievements, or lack of them. What subjects did you pass last term? All of them,
8: but English. Just barely, but I passed them. And I can't understand why I didn't pass English. I always done my homework very good. Very well.
7: Very well. Stretch, uh, isn't it true that you couldn't always do your work properly because of the other pupils harassing you? I ain't never worked near
8: as hard at any subject as I done in English, hardly.
3: But
7: uh, it wasn't all your own fault that you failed. There were other students in the class, all kinds of students, doing all kinds of things.
8: Yeah, they were a swell bunch of kids, all right. But you know something, Miss Brooks? It wasn't the grammar that done it. No. Then what did done it?
7: Done did it. <laughs> everything. Yeah.
8: It, it was the composition that made Miss Enright flunk me. We was allowed to pick our own theme. We were allowed to pick
6: our own theme. You too, huh?
3: <laughs> <laughs>
7: like I
8: said, we could write about anything we wanted, so I got my idea off on the radio.
7: It's not very bright of me to ask, but uh, what kind of a radio idea did you write about?
8: I wrote in 25 words or less... I hate English because. <laughs>
7: Come in. Good morning, Mr. Conklin. Uh, can I speak to you for a moment?
3: If
9: you know how to speak at all, you can. But if it's permission you want, you may.
7: Sorry, Mr. Conklin. I haven't taken English since I was a girl. But I'd, uh, I'd like to request a transfer for one of the students here. He's in Miss Enright's class at the present time.
9: But, Miss Brooks, the new term has already started. You know we can't issue any transfers at this late date?
7: Oh, but this case is extraordinary, Mr. Conklin. A boy's life is being made miserable by his classmates.
9: What boy?
7: Fabian Snodgrass. They call him all sorts of names.
9: Anything worse than Fabian Snodgrass? <laughs>
7: for one thing, they call him Stretch.
9: Stretch? What's so terrible about that? I'm sorry, Miss Brooks, I can't do anything for you.
7: But, Mr. Conklin, he failed English last term because of the conditions in Miss Enright's class. And if she fails him in his test this term, he won't be eligible for athletics. Athletics?
9: There's too much emphasis on athletics in the school system now. No, Miss Brooks, the boy stays where he is. uh, come in. Well, hello, O.C., I... uh... Oh, I'm sorry. Didn't know you were busy. Oh, uh, come in, J.B., come in. Miss Brooks, this is Jason Brill, principal of Clay City High.
7: How do you do, Mr. Brill? How do you do,
9: Miss Brooks? What brings you all the way to Madison, J.B.? Well,
7: everything's running so smoothly at Clay City,
9: I thought I'd drop over and find out how things were with you. I heard you had a fire over here last week. A fire? Oh, it was nothing at all, really.
7: Oh, indeed. Some teacher just blew a fuse, that's all. (laughs) Yes. (laughs)
9: Yeah, <laughs> You got yourself locked in the storeroom, too, didn't you? Uh, <clears throat> perhaps you'd better go into my inner office. If you'll excuse us, Miss Brooks.
7: But I still want to talk to you, Mr. I'll Conklin. I'll
9: talk to you later. Just wait here in my outer office.
7: All right, Mr. Conklin, I'll wait right here.
9: Are you sure I'm not disturbing you, Osgood? That teacher out there, a pretty bit of baggage, isn't she? <laughs> yes, she is. I'd like to check her sometime.
10: Uh, Well, Osgood, uh, we haven't seen each other since the big Clay City-Madison High
9: football game. We gave you a good drubbing in that one. 79 to nothing, wasn't it? It was not. It was 78 to nothing. (laughs) But we had a good excuse for losing that one. Yes, I know. Your team showed up.
10: Nothing to what our basketball team is going to do to you tonight. Why, we should
1: win by 40 points.
9: What? Why, we'll wipe up the gym with you. Will you care
1: to make a little wager on that, Osgood?
9: I'm not a betting man, and you know it. Oh, come on, Osgood. Just to make things interesting, how
1: about a nice new hat
9: to the winner? Well, I do need a new hat. Uh, You're on, J.B. Fine. Well, I'll be running along now. See you at the game tonight. May the best team from Clay City win. Ah, you haven't a chance. Oh, you're still here, Miss Brooks.
7: Yes, Mr. Conklin.
9: Well, uh, goodbye, Miss Brooks.
7: Goodbye, Mr. Brill. Oh, and Oscar.
9: Yes?
10: If you want to, you can check her with me sometime.
9: (laughs) Old reprobate. Now then, Miss Brooks, come to the point. Just what you want me to do about this, uh, this, uh, Stretch.
7: Stretch Snodgrass. Just because a kid happens to be a star basketball player is no reason for other kids to make fun of him.
9: I'm sorry, Miss Brooks. I can't change the rules in the middle of a semester just on account of some star basketball player. After all, there are other students in this school who... 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 Who did you say star basketball player? Yes, sir. And if he passes a test today, he's eligible for the game tonight?
7: That's right, Mr. Conklin. And your own daughter Harriet and Walter and everybody seems to think that he'll have a better chance if I give him the examination.
9: Miss Brooks, in a democratically operated high school, no boy should be forced to remain in surroundings that are not conducive to his getting the most out of the school (laughs)
7: curriculum. I'll have him
9: transferred at once. Er, There's just one thing I insist on.
7: Yes, Mr. Conklin?
9: The test must be absolutely impartial. At Madison, we have just one standard procedure, one examination.
7: With liberty and justice for all.
6: Come on, Walter, there's Mr. Boynton. Okay, Harriet. Pardon us, Mr. Boynton, but the cafeteria is pretty packed today. Oh,
11: yes, I know.
9: Why don't you sit at this table with me?
6: Now, that's what I call taking the bait. I mean, thanks, Mr. Boynton. Uh, We wanted to talk to you before Miss Brooks came up. You see, Stretch is taking his English test in Miss Brooks' free period right after lunch.
9: Oh, but I thought Stretch was in Miss Enright's class.
6: He was, but Daddy transferred him because he doesn't want the boy to be unhappy. Now it's up to us, especially you as basketball coach, to see that Miss Brooks is in a very good mood when she gives him the test. Maybe she'll even let us be there.
9: But uh, what can I do?
6: Oh, just be nice. You know, even if she doesn't order salads, spread a little oil around.
3: <laughs> Always
9: courteous to Miss Brooks.
6: Well, then be more than courteous. Be, uh, be civil.
9: Well, what my attitude toward Miss Brooks has to do with...
6: She's coming over now. Be terribly nice. Remember, this is the biggest game you'll ever coach. Hello, Mr. Boynton. Well,
9: how do you do, Miss Brooks?
6: How are you, Harriet? Walter? Oh, we're fine, Miss Brooks. Oh, uh, Won't you join us? Oh, sit right here by Mr. Boynton. I'll move the chairs closer together.
7: There. Thank you.
6: Now then, what looks good today? You do, Miss Brooks. You look simply lovely. Well, what? high praise coming from you, Walter. It should have come from you, Mr. Boynton.
3: Hmm?
6: <laughs> uh, Miss Brooks, if you'll just tell me what you want, I'll go get your tray filled up. I really haven't given it much thought.
9: Well, neither have I.
6: That's one nice thing about having a perfect figure. You can eat anything.
9: Oh, I don't think my figure's so perfect. <laughs>
6: not you, Mr. Boynton, Miss Brooks. Here, let me wipe off the table in front
9: of you. No, pass me those glasses of water, will you, Walter? Yeah. Now, thank you. Uh, here's one for you, Miss Brooks.
7: Oh, here, Miss Brooks, take my knives and forks too. I'm not hungry just yet. I am. I'm starved. I'd eat some roast beef today if it wasn't so expensive. Expensive? What's that got to do with anything? Mr. Boynton's treating you.
3: <laughs>
7: there goes the water.
9: Uh, it must have gone down the, the wrong pipe.
7: Yeah, the pipe that likes to go Dutch.
3: <laughs> Look, uh...
7: I appreciate this attention, but there's something I think you all ought to know. What's that? I'm giving Stretch his eligibility test in private. In private? That's right. And if you'll meet me after school, I'll refund all courtesies extended to me during this lunch period. Now, Stretch, you say you've completed the written portion of the examination?
8: Yes, ma'am. To the best of my ability. I was afraid of that.
7: Well, put the papers to one side and we'll get into the oral test. Oh, excuse me, Miss Brooks. What do you want, Walter?
6: I forgot my rubbers. Oh, don't pay any attention to me, though. Just keep going. Hi, Stretch.
7: Never mind that. Sorry. You're on your own, kid.
6: I'll just look around over here.
7: Well, keep away from Stretch. First question.
6: I just want to come in for a minute, Miss Brooks.
7: For what, Harriet?
6: I lost my fountain pen. I'm sure it's in one of these desks. Oh, you go right ahead, Miss Brooks. Hi, Stretch.
7: Hi, Harriet. Why don't you look over here by me? Cut that out. Where do you think you are? (laughs) Well, she's pretty. Good thing that wasn't one of the test questions. Look, Stretch, you're fond of radio shows. Now, just make believe you're on a quiz program.
9: I beg your pardon, Miss Brooks, but I think I left a book in here.
7: This test should have been given in the Rose Bowl.
6: (laughs) Sit right down, Mr. Boynton. Stretch is
7: about to get the oral test.
9: Oh, well, I'll be very quiet, Miss Brooks. So will Stretch, I'm afraid.
7: (laughs) But here goes. Question one. Name three plays by William Shakespeare.
8: William who? (laughs) Shakespeare.
7: He was a tall, thin fellow with a little goatee.
8: Oh, him. Three plays, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. Um.
7: Maybe I shouldn't look for
6: my rubbers now. Uh, maybe it's just much ado about nothing. Walter!
8: <laughs> much ado about nothing?
6: He said it, Miss Brooks does one answer right. Go ahead, Stretch. Think of another one.
8: Another one? Um... Don't
6: make any mistakes now. This could easily become a comedy of errors.
9: A <laughs> <laughs> uh, comedy of errors? Good for you, Stretch. No, no, just one more. <laughs>
7: and I'm surprised at you giving a pupil hints in a private test.
9: But, Miss Brooks, I didn't say anything. I'm just rooting for the
8: boy.
7: Oh, well, I guess this is something of a tempest in the teapot. <laughs> I,
8: I think I got the third one, Miss Brooks. What is it?
7: Teapot.
3: <laughs> that is absolutely
7: wrong. Would you like to try for tempest? Yeah, tempest. Next question. What plays did Shakespeare write between the two entitled Pericles Prince of Tyre and Coriolanus? Where did everybody go? <laughs> would, would
8: you repeat the question, please?
7: Certainly. What plays did Shakespeare write between the two entitled Pericles Prince of Tyre and Coriolanus? Um uh, uh, Well, don't stand
11: there. Think, boy, think! <laughs>
7: Mr. Conklin, I have the result of both tests written and oral. Good,
9: good. Just put everything on my desk here. I'm not even going to check these papers, Miss Brooks. I'm that sure of your integrity.
7: Thank you, Mr. Conklin, but as you know, we weren't alone I Never the mind test. that,
9: Miss Brooks. Uh, the examination was based on the 100% system.
7: That's right, but every once in a while, somebody... Please, would...
9: please, Miss Brooks. It's all done with. Uh, passing is 65%, is that correct? Yes, sir. Fine. Now, what was the boy's mark?
7: 39.
3: <laughs> Miss
9: Brooks, I would like you to jot down my latest ruling on eligibility for athletic activities.
7: Proceed, Mr. Conklin.
9: No student who has previously failed a subject will be eligible for any athletic team if he fails the first two tests in any term.
7: Mr. Conklin, may I say that I have never seen such touching concern for the hopes and ambitions of Madison students.
9: Well, thank you, Miss Brooks. I remember when I was a boy. Oh, and one hot. more
7: thing, Mr. You... Conklin. Uh, yes. When you get your new hat, wear it in good health.
3: Steve
1: <laughs> <laughs> Arden, as our Miss Brooks, returns in just a moment. But first,
8: Dream Girl, Dream Girl, beautiful luster cream
1: girl. Tonight, show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a Luster Cream shampoo. Only Luster Cream brings you K. Dumas' magic formula blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Gives loveliness lather even in hardest water. Glamorizes your hair as you wash it. Luster Cream. Not a soap, not a liquid, but a dainty cream shampoo. Leaves hair fragrantly clean. Free of loose dandruff. Glistening with sheen. Soft. Manageable. Gives new beauty to all hairdos or permanents. Four ounce jar, one dollar. Smaller sizes, either tubes or jars. Tonight, try Luster Cream Shampoo
8: and be a... Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful Luster Cream Girl. You owe your crowning glory to a Luster Cream Shampoo.
1: And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks.
7: Well, we gave the Clay City team a pretty thorough drubbing. And right after the game, I congratulated Mr. Boynton. Honestly, Mr. Boynton, I thought you did a superb job of coaching.
9: Thanks, Miss Brooks, but the kids deserve most of the credit. They played a great game.
7: Yes, they did. You know something, Mr. Boynton? I haven't been so excited at a basketball game since I swallowed a whistle in teachers' college.
9: Miss Brooks, that's pretty serious. What did you do about it?
7: Nothing, but I intend to see a doctor about it. One of these days.
3: Welcome <laughs> to <laughs> our Miss Brooks
1: show, brought to you by Carmonic Soap, your beauty hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. <laughs> Men, do you shave with a lather or brushless shave cream? Palmolive shaving cream comes both ways. And whichever way you prefer to shave, you'll find that using either Palmolive brushless or Palmolive lather shaving cream can bring you more comfortable, actually smoother shaves. Here's the proof. Twenty-five hundred and forty-eight men tried the new Palmolive way to shave described on the tube. And no matter how they had shaved before, three out of every four got more comfortable, actually smoother shaves. Get Palmolive Brushless or Palmolive Lather Shaving Cream today. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North. Tune in Tuesday evenings over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at this same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking.
3: (laughs) This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
5: Now, Uncle Sam will throw his annual forget-me-not party, that glorious little shindig known as Income Tax Day. Me, Jane Stacy, I'm all prepared for it. Income, $2,500 a year. Assets, about $100. Liabilities, Irma Peterson. <laughs> and you know I'm a little worried? Sometimes the government gives you a refund. Laughter What if they send me another Irma Peterson?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I doubt that there's another Irma Peterson out there. Hey everyone, this is OTR Rob, welcoming you to another edition of My Friend Irma. This episode is from February 16th, 1948, and the episode is entitled The Professor's Concerto. So enjoy this, and I'll be back with Fred Allen. (laughs)
10: Lever Brothers Company, makers of Swan The Soap with the Exclusive Super Creamed Blend presents
5: Our Friend Swan With My Friend Irma
10: Starring Mary Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane
3: Friendship friendship
12: just a perfect friendship when other friendships have been forgotten theirs will still be hot.
5: Uncle Sam will throw his annual forget-me-not party. That glorious little shindig known as Income Tax Day. Me, Jane Stacy, I'm all prepared for it. Income, $2,500 a year. Assets, about $100. Liabilities, Irma Peterson.
3: <laughs>
5: and you know I'm a little worried? Sometimes the government gives you a refund. What if they send me another Irma Peterson?
3: <laughs> now, please,
5: don't get the wrong impression, because I love Irma. But there are times when she... Well, for instance, the other night I came home and found Irma in the middle of the floor with her head on the bathroom scale. So I said, for goodness sakes, honey, what are you doing? And Irma said, I'm just trying to find out if I have a balanced mind. <laughs> she says those things, I no longer pull my hair. You see, I've come to know her a little better, and beneath it all, she's a sweet, honest kid who's determined to make something of herself. Otherwise, now why would she be at the piano as she is? Practicing lesson number two, which our dear friend and neighbor, Professor Kropotkin, has given her. see C, Well, that was pretty good, honey. Yes, but that's C D E F G A B C. What about it? Is it your hard way to pronounce the death gap?
3: <laughs>
5: Sweetie, that's not a word. They're just notes. Now, come on. Back to your practicing, Irma. All right. Do, re, mi, al. Irma, what are you doing? It's supposed to be fa. I know, but I always like al next to me. <laughs> <laughs> grand. Just grand. Don't you want to learn, honey? Well, it's not my fault. Professor Kropotkin was supposed to give me my third lesson a week ago, and I haven't seen him. So you know, come to think of it, I haven't seen him either. Gee, I hope he's not sick. Gee, my playing isn't that bad. Oh, I didn't mean it that way, honey. Come in. Hello, girls. Oh, it's you, Mrs. O'Reilly. Girls, I'm worried sick. The professor's been in his room all week, and he won't even answer the door. Oh, my goodness. What do you think it could mean? Oh, I don't know. I'm afraid the poor old man might be very sick. And then again, the deadbeat may have skipped without paying the rent. <laughs> well, maybe he killed himself. Oh, Irma, please. Please. Well, it could happen. A lot of people kill themselves, and you don't hear from them for weeks. Oh. (laughs) Irma, his socks are hanging down there on the line. So what? You know what they say, you can't take it with you. (laughs) Well, I don't know what it's all about, but whatever it is, Mrs. O'Reilly, you have yourself to blame for it. The way you've kept nagging that sweet old man for the rent. I nag him? Well, that's ridiculous. I remember Christmas Eve, we were singing Silent Night, and I didn't mention it once during the entire song. <laughs> I'm surprised that you say such a thing, Janey. Oh, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings, Mrs. O'Reilly. Well, if you want to know, I'm the one who's been hurt. The way he goes around
0: telling everyone I'm an old bat-faced
5: cow. <laughs> well, why don't you sue him?
0: He says he can prove it. <laughs>
3: Hey,
5: shh! Listen a minute, everybody. I think I hear a violin playing. Well, I'll open the window, Jane. Yeah. Hi. Why, sure. It is a violin. It's coming from the professor's room. Oh, it's beautiful. I think I'll accompany him on the piano. No, you won't. Sir. Just, just sit quiet and listen. Well, he stopped. Oh, thank goodness the professor's okay. Well, how do you know? Well, honey, when a person is dying, you never hear them playing such beautiful music. Oh, that's not true. When my grandfather died, he fell against the victrola and started the most wonderful concert you ever heard. Oh. <laughs> Come in.
13: It's only me, Professor Kropotkin.
5: <laughs> Hello, Professor.
13: Girls, girls, girls. What is it, Professor? Girls, I just. Tell me, Mrs. O'Reilly, since when were you a girl?
5: Oh, now, Professor, please, we've been so worried about you. Where have you been keeping yourself?
13: Oh, girls, today is the happiest day of my life. Today I have finished my great masterpiece, my beautiful concerto.
5: Oh, so that's what kept you locked up in your room.
13: Sure. To write great music, a man must suffer. And nowhere in the world can a man suffer like in that room of mine.
5: (laughs) Oh, Professor, that's wonderful. I'm positively thrilled it's really too exciting for words. Oh, Professor, I I don't mean to be stupid, but what's a concerto?
13: Irma, my little pigeon, a concerto is a piece of a man's life set to music. The agony of his soul, the torment of his youth, the anguish of his struggles, and the torture of his misery.
5: Can you dance to it? (laughs) Well, hardly. Hardly. Irma, Mrs. O'Reilly, isn't it just wonderful? Oh, I can't catch my breath. Professor, you don't know how proud I'll be to be able to say, Folks, this is the bed in which Professor Kropotkin slept.
13: That's a lie. The only night I slept in that bed was when the ceiling fell on my head.
5: (laughs) Look here, you. No, now, now, listen. Stop the bickering, both of you. Professor, come on. Play your concerto. Come on. Oh, no,
13: Janey, darling. Not now. I'm rushing down to the publishers now. I want them to hear it. All my dreams are wrapped up in the success of this concerto. (laughs) Wish me luck.
5: Oh, from the bottom of my heart, Professor. And I wish you luck, too. Oh, by the way, until I hear from you, shall I keep on playing the piano the way I have been?
13: Only if you want to get arrested. (laughs) (laughs) Well, goodbye, girls. And keep your fingers crossed. Come on, Kropotkin, you mad genius, you.
5: Hello? Who? Oh, Al. Yeah, she's here. What's delayed you? Oh, you had two teeth Paul. Why are you so upset? Only one of them was bad? Well, Al, I don't understand. Oh, they pulled the one with the gold to pay for the other one. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I see. Yeah, all all right. Yeah, well, I'll tell Irma you'll be right over, Al. Bye. Well, girls, I think I'll go up to the professor's room and give it that feminine touch. Who knows, now that he's coming into the money, he might be looking around for a girl to share it with.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye.
5: Gee, sweetie, I hope the Professor sells his concerto. You know, he's so nice and so honest, and he's worked so hard. Which is more than I can say for a certain party, we both know. Jane, I don't know who you're referring to, but that's no way to talk about my Al. (laughs) Well, I wasn't talking about Al. I wouldn't think of comparing the two men. After all, the Professor has created something that may live forever. What's Al created? A long stick with a piece of chewing gum in the end for fishing nickels out of gratings. (laughs) Oh, that must be the fisherman right now. Come in.
12: Hello, Jane. Hi, chicken.
5: Hello, Al, honey. Guess what? The professor wrote a concerto, and he just went out to see a publisher. That's nice. What do you mean, that's nice? Now, there's a man who's going to get up in the world.
12: So what, Jane? Lots of people get up in the world. Some do it by writing songs. Some discover oil. Some wear elevator shoes. But me, got my own way. Got my deals.
5: Oh, heaven forbid. Another of your frauds?
12: Oh, this one is very humanitarian. It's a ticker tape made out of rope. So when the stock market drops, you can hang yourself.
5: <laughs>
3: very
12: timely these days.
5: Oh, yeah, it sounds very good, Al. Don't patent it until you try it. Oh, <laughs> Oh, don't mind her, Al. Come over here by the piano. I'll play my second lesson for you. Okay,
12: chicken. I still got novocaine in me.
5: <laughs> uh, say,
12: Jane, my will learn Would you care to dance?
5: No, thanks, Al. If you don't mind, I'll sit this one out. In fact, I think I'll sit it out at the beauty parlor.
12: What's the matter, Jane? Don't you like the way I dance?
5: Well, it, it, it's kind of hard for me to tell, Al. I'm always so busy dodging your feet. <laughs> I'll see you later, kids. <laughs>
13: Professor What are you so dejected about? Al, I'm a tired old man I went to every publisher In New York And they wouldn't even see me Because I haven't got a name
5: Well that's silly You've got a name Why don't you show them Your driver's license (laughs) Hold it
13: Don't be miserable Professor How can I be happy? No musician will ever Play my concerto I'll play it That's what I said No musician will ever Play my concerto (laughs) Oh, I'm so heartbroken. All those nights and days, wasted.
5: Oh, we're sorry, Professor. Honest, we are.
13: I know you are, Emma, darling. Here, you can have my concerto. Come on, Kropotkin. You all failure, you.
11: (laughs) Poor guy.
12: You know, chicken, sometimes these geniuses don't know how to handle themselves. Got an idea. Can you play the professor's concerto, Chicken?
5: Well, I'll try, Al. Ah, there's something wrong with this piano, Al. No matter what I play, it sounds the same.
12: (laughs) Well, forget it, Chicken. Hand me that music. A wheel is beginning to turn in my mind.
5: Gee, Al, I love it when you and I are together. Then I know one of our heads is always working. (laughs)
10: Say, lady, when you go out, do you sometimes wish you could be slipping on a soft, fabulously expensive mink coat? Well, if you would like a glamorous fur coat, then listen closely. You have a chance to win one in the exciting Lever $100,000 fur contest. Here are the prizes given away each week for five weeks. One $3,000 mink coat. Three $1,000 fur coats. Five smart fur jackets worth $500, as well as 320 other prizes of valuable furs and cash. Hello? Oh yes, madam, I was just talking about the wonderful Lever fur contest. Prizes? Why, there are 1,645 in all, 329 each week. What do you have to do? Why, it's simple. Just tell in 25 words or less why you like any one of these six Lever products. Swan Soap, Lux Flakes, Lux Toilet Soap, Life Boy, Rinso, or Spry. Then send in the wrapper or box top from one of these with your entry. How long does the contest run? Well, there are three contests left, and a new contest begins each week. Oh, certainly, you can send in as many entries as you like. Well, good luck. And, oh, say, don't forget to get your entry blank from your dealer. It will give you all the information you need. Goodbye. Be seeing you in mink. Well, folks, that's the story, so don't wait a minute. Start writing tonight. This contest is limited to the continental United States, Hawaii, and Alaska. And say, here's a hint. Sincerity counts. Write in your own words. Be sure to print your name and address and the name and address of your Lever Products dealer. Mail your entry to Lever Fur Contest, Box 1, New York 8, New York.
9: That address again is Lever Fur Contest, Box 1, New York 8, New York. Enter every week.
5: Well, I've heard the news about Professor Kropotkin's failure, and I'm just heartsick. I don't know where he is. I can't locate Alan Irma. But I've decided to do something about it myself. You see, Richard has a friend, a music publisher, named Jed Leeds. And we're in Mr. Leeds' office right now, and he's trying to get rid of a fellow who claims that he writes original songs.
12: And nothing could be cleaner than to see my darling Lena in the morning. Oh, nothing could be better than to see her in a sweater in the morning. Hold it, hold it, hmm? please. Uh, not what you're looking for? Ha! Ah, get this one. Brand new. Uh-oh. Carry me back to old Miami, (laughs) back to the land of palm trees and cocoa, cocoa nuts. Get it, get it. Now wait a minute, son. Ah ha ha! I know, I know. You want something peppier? Get this. Just dashed it off this morning. Over here, over here What a
13: year, over here, over here Now look, my boy For the boys are shaking, the
11: market's breaking We'll soon be back to nickel Look, look, boys, boys, please <laughs> Run along, will you? I'm busy These people are waiting to talk to me
12: Okay, okay, but you'll be sorry I'm going over to Whitmark and selling my masterpiece Mammy's little baby loves Shorten and Pumpernickel. nickel
11: <laughs>
5: Goodbye,
11: Mr. Vienna.
5: Is that his name? Vienna?
11: Yes, he calls himself Irving Vienna. That's as close as he could get to Berlin. Now, Richard, I'm sorry to delay you like this. What can I do for you? Well, uh, Jane has a friend who's written a concerto, and, well, we thought you might listen to it. Well, I'd be glad to. Do you have it with you?
5: No, I haven't, but if you could arrange to see Professor Kropotkin, I'd be ever so grateful. I'm sure he has ability.
11: Well, I'll be free this afternoon for a couple of hours. Can you locate him?
5: Well, I'll make it my business, too. He works at the Gypsy Tea Room, and I'll find him if I have to look under every tea leaf. <laughs> Jane, she's not here, Al. All
12: the better, Chicken. Got a lot of work to do.
5: What do you mean, Al?
12: Chicken, just figured out why this concerto with the professors is no good. Why it'll never sell.
5: Why, Al?
12: Because it ain't got no words. It's got to have lyrics.
5: Oh, but Al, do you think it's right for us to mess with a professor's concerto?
12: Chicken, he's got to have help. If we don't mess with it, who will?
5: Uh, I guess you're right, Al. But where will we get the words?
12: Right out of our heads.
5: Oh, I guess that's as good a place as any.
12: Well, sure, too
5: <laughs>
12: Now, now the first thing we got to remember is that songs like moving pictures go in cycles. They all copy each other. See, now for instance, this week it's Ingrid Bergman in Arch of Triumph. Next week it'll probably be Betty Davis in Ditch of Despair.
5: <laughs> now, what's
12: the number one song today?
5: Um, Golden Earrings.
12: Got our title, Silver Bracelets.
5: <laughs> see, that's pretty Al, and it's not too expensive.
12: Yeah. Hand me the concerto, Chicken. Here, play these first few notes. Yeah, yeah, all right, forget it. I, I know the rhythm. Now, now let's see. Da-da-dee-da-da. Da. Silver bracelets. Oh, silver bracelets in the moonlight make me once again a youth. For I see the moon above you, uh...
5: Sparkling down upon your tooth. <laughs>
12: No, Chicken, spoils the beauty of the scene. And let me try again. I want to get something southern. Uh, mint juleps? No, got it. Silver bracelets in the moonlight where the Mississippi flows. For I see the moon above you, uh...
5: Sparkling down upon your nose? <laughs> no,
12: no, Chicken, forget about where it sparkling. And we got to finish this song in a hurry. Got to get to a publisher and save the day for the professor.
5: All right, Al.
12: We'll take a different approach. Let's see now. Silver bracelets beneath the sky bring me back a lullaby. Banjos are strummin'. People are hummin'.
5: Sippin' tea with (laughs)
3: lummin'?
12: Oh, no, chicken. Need a good rhyme. Let's see. Strummin', hummin'. Only one man who can help us. Who, Al? Who else but... Hello, Joe. (laughs) Al. Got a problem. Am writing a song. Want something to rhyme with banjos are strumming, people are humming. Huh? Geez, it the cops are coming? No, no, Joe, I'll get something. Hey, Joe, by the way, do you know a good publisher? Uh-huh. 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 Mm-hmm. Duplicate Dan, the forger, is a music publisher now? Okay, Joe, we'll see Duplicate Danny. Thanks. Well, chicken, got the publisher. Only a few more words. Now, let me see. A rhyme for Hummin.
5: Our life was rugged, we had no plummin. <laughs> <laughs>
3: no,
5: no,
12: no, chicken. I'll get something. Let me see. Hummin, strummin, strummin,
3: hummin.
5: Professor, Mr. Leeds will see us in a minute. Now, don't be
13: nervous. Nervous? Who is nervous? I'm perfectly calm. Who's doing all that typing?
5: That's your teeth chattering. (laughs) Come on, now, put yourself together, Professor. Here comes Mr. Leeds.
11: Ah, I see you found him, Miss Stacy. Nice knowing you, Professor. Thank you. Do you have your music
13: with you? No, sir, I came right from work. The music is with two friends, Al and Irma Peterson, but... I'm sure it's perfectly safe.
11: Well, how can you play it? Do you know it by heart? Oh, yes. If
13: I can get my heart down out of my throat, so I can get my violin under my chin. (laughs) (laughs) Let me hear it. All right. My concerto. My life's work.
5: Mr. Leeds.
11: It's beautiful. You're a great composer, Kropotkin.
13: Do you realize what you're saying, Mr. Leeds? Do you realize that you're saying, I'll be a man again, I'll be able to hold my head up, look my landlady in the eye, and move out of a room that even the mice have boycotted?
3: (laughs)
11: Oh, now, now, don't break down, Professor. We're all just as happy as you are. Of course I can't commit myself until Mr. Eccles, my associate, hears the recording we made while you were playing. You made the
13: record. <laughs> Mr.
5: Leeds, I hope you'll let the professor know just as soon as possible.
11: Well, if Eccles likes it as much as I do, we'll publish it. I'll drop by your place, Miss Stacy, with the contract and our usual advance of dollars $1,000? $1,000?
13: I can't catch my breath.
5: Here, here's a glass of water.
13: How dare you? You give water to a multimillionaire tonight, the champagne will blow.
3: <laughs>
12: well, Danny, now that you heard silver bracelets, what do you say? Well, let me see.
1: Lyrics by Al, with an assist by Irma Peterson. Music by Professor Kropotkin. Well, Al, we generally don't buy from new writers. But since you're a friend of Joe's, we'll make an exception. I'll give you $100 for all rights. You know, buy it outright. Boy, $100!
5: Oh, gee, Jane will never forget what we've done for the professor.
1: Just sign that paper while I look the lyrics over again. Silver bracelets on a ballerina in the Easter parade deep
12: in the heart of Texas. Four hits in one song, we gotta click somewhere. Yeah, well, well, you can ju- use just what you want. Here's the contract all signed, Daddy. Okay,
1: and here's your check. Oh, if you want to hear the number, listen in tonight at 7. We'll have it introduced by six
12: misses in a hit. Swell, Daddy. Come on, chicken. Let's go home and reap the rich rewards of the joy we have brought.
5: Well, we're all sitting here excitedly waiting for Jed Leeds, Richard, myself, Mrs. O'Reilly, and the professor... Oh, the professor's beaming confidently. This is O'Reilly's dressed up like a Christmas tree. He's flirting with him. Now she's fluttering her eyelashes at him. Oh, she's... She's so embarrassed. They fell off.
3: <laughs>
5: I guess she's not used to wearing them. Now the professor's smiling happily. He's probably thinking of the thousand dollars. Now he's frowning, probably thinking of the income tax. (laughs) Now he's humming the concerto. Come in. Oh, hello, Mr. Leeds. How did Mr. Eccles like it?
11: Went out of his mind about it. Here's your contract, Professor, and I have the check right here for you. Oh,
5: Oh, hello, Jane. Irma, you're just in time. We have the most wonderful news for you and Al. Well,
12: we got wonderful news, too. Oh, no,
5: well, wait, wait, will you hear ours? Mr. Leeds here, he, he's a publisher, and he's just bought the professor's concerto with an advance of a $1,000. Huh? Huh?
12: Now,
5: what's your good news? Irma? Al, why are the two of you looking at each other like that? Uh,
12: we've missed each other.
5: Why do you keep staring at each other? We want to make sure we haven't changed. <laughs>
13: What's the difference? I'm the happiest man alive. Let there be rejoicing, laughter, music. Turn on the radio. Uh, not now. It's 7 o'clock.
5: Uh, and you wouldn't want to listen to Six Misses and a Hit. Yeah, hold her chicken. Wait a
13: minute.
5: Wait a minute. What's going on here? Irma Peterson, what have you and Al been up to? Irma? Oh, you might as well tell the mail.
13: Here, Professor, here's the check. We sold your concerto for $100. What? <laughs> Edna, darling, I know you got a vacuum in your head, but why use it to clean me up? <laughs> <laughs> we're,
5: we're sorry, Professor. We, we just wanted to help.
11: Well, I guess there's nothing more for me to say. Goodbye.
5: Excuse me. Hello? Oh, yeah, just just a minute, Mr. Lee. Just a minute, please. Uh, it's for you. Oh,
11: uh, thank you. Yes? Oh, Eccles. What? What? You don't say. Well, we found out just in time. What is it? Your friend Kropotkin is a plagiarist. Huh? Our chief arranger says that this concerto was stolen from an old Hungarian heir, note for note. What, stolen? How can you say this? Why, that theme...
13: That's mine. That's all mine.
11: I'm very sorry, but our man never makes a mistake. <laughs> Good day.
5: Here's the $100 check, Professor.
11: A check?
13: How can you talk of money when my artistic integrity has been questioned? Life means nothing to me now. Goodbye.
5: <laughs> oh, Irma, I'm worried. He may do something desperate. Come on, let's go up to his room. Yes, let's hurry. Professor. Professor?
13: Please go away, girl. My heart is broken. I'm lying down. No,
5: we're coming in. Oh, don't cry, Professor.
13: But they they called me a plagiarist. A thief.
5: Well, don't let it get the best of you. Al doesn't. <laughs> But I know it's original. Oh, sure it is, Professor, but these things happen, honest. Gee, you have a hundred dollars, and, and you'll feel better after you have a good night's sleep.
13: How oh, can I sleep, Jane? They called me a plagiarist.
5: Well, maybe I can sing you a lullaby.
13: Oh, would you, Everma?
5: Yes, do do you have any special favorite one?
13: Yes, sir. One my mother used to sing to me in the old country.
5: Well, how did it go?
10: Say ladies, you'll really like Swan Soap for Dishes because Swan's exclusive super creamed blend means faster suds in the dishpan. Suds that rinse away so completely your dishes never need drying. And super-creamed blend means hand protection, too. Your hands come out of the dishpan smooth and lovely as ever. Yes, Swan Soap is the perfect dishwashing soap, thanks to Swan's exclusive super-creamed blend. My friend Irma presented by Swan, another fine product of Lever Brothers Company was produced and directed by Cy Howard. Tonight's script was written by Cy Howard and Park Levy. Say, men, how would you like a job that offered you regular pay increases, a chance to reach the top, all living expenses paid, free medical and dental care, early retirement, expert training, travel and adventure? Well, those are the opportunities the Navy offers you. And you can enlist now if you're 17 to 31 years old and a United States citizen in normal health. Yes, serve your country and get ahead at the same time. Enlist in the United States Navy. Frank Binkman speaking.
5: Spry, cakes are light and high Spry, there's a reason why Spry, cakes improve with Spry. Rely
3: on Spry You
1: bet there's a reason why Spry is the cake-making wonder Spry has an amazing cake-improver secret Try the sure Spry one bowl way And be certain of lighter, finer, richer cakes every time No other type of
11: shortening has Spry's
1: cake-improver secret For new cake-making success, rely on Spry your all vegetable spry with cake improver.
3: Rely on spry. S-P-R-Y. Rely on Sprite.
10: spry. Tune in next week, one hour earlier, and listen to the Lux Radio Theater immediately followed by my friend Irma. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. <laughs>
2: Hey everyone, OTR Rob here with another episode of the Fred Allen Show. This Fred Allen Show is from February 13th, 1949, and Doc Rockwell is the guest on the show. Doc Rockwell was an old friend of Fred Allen. They toured Vaudeville together, and uh, Doc Rockwell really was a doctor, and when he ended up quitting Vaudeville, he went. In, back in the school and got his law degree and became a lawyer. So not only was he a doctor, but he was a lawyer up in Maine. And Fred Allen and Doc Rockwell were close friends. There's another book out on Fred Allen about Fred Allen's letters. This book of letters was compiled by Portland Hoffa. And it's amazing, you know, the, the amount of letter writing that Fred Allen did and Doc Rockwell figures into the lion's share of those letters that Fred Allen wrote during his time in show business, and even after he was out of radio, or basically out of radio, he and Doc Rockwell were good friends. And when Fred passed away in 1956, Doc Rockwell gave the eulogy for Fred Allen. He was that much of a close friend to Fred Allen. So enjoy this Fred Allen show from February 13th 1949. I'll see you all back here next week. The Four Dealers
0: of America presents the Fred Allen Show. Jeff, Dr. Rockwell, Paulson Hoffman, Minerva pass, Peter Donald, Parker Fenley, the DeMarco sisters, and Al Goodman and his orchestra. And this is Kenny Delmar with an invitation from your Ford dealer. Do you want a stimulating experience someday this week? Then spend a few minutes driving the new Ford. Discover how different it feels. Feel the thrill of its fingertip control. Feel the relaxing comfort of the Ford midship ride. Feel how those hydrocoil and tire flex springs smooth their roughest roads. Feel the king-size magic action brakes that are 35% easier acting. This week, accept your Ford dealer's cordial invitation. Drive the new Ford and feel the difference. And
1: remember, if you're interested in low delivered price as well as economy of operation, Ford dealers
0: can offer you the lowest priced car in its field. <laughs> Must be Sunday night. Here comes Fred Allen driving up in his new Ford to keep his weekly date at the corner of Main Street. As Fred steps out of his Ford, he hears a voice say,
3: Master.
0: I'm a little late again, Portland. Has time been hanging heavily on your hands? No, I've been reading this book. It's called Verses. Oh, Verses. That's Ogden Nash's new book of poems, isn't it? And it's wonderful. The poems have crazy titles. Oh, really? What are some of the titles? Will you have your tedium, rare, or medium. Oh, that's a poem. (laughs) Who called that Robin a piccolo player? Yeah, that's another poem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Who called that piccolo player a robin with a minute? Say, what is that? What is that? <laughs> what is that poem you're reading there? It's called The Guppy. The Guppy? How does it go? Well, have cubs, cats have kittens, bears have cubs, bats have kittens. Nash was writing on the program here. Well, Carolyn, remind me to get that book on the way home. Carolyn, what's new? Well, I read that three radio stations in New York canceled the Hooper Survey. Well, good. Good,
11: <laughs> yes, uh,
0: you know, it's not going to be long before there will be more people not paying any attention to the Hooper Survey. Then Hooper says there are people not listening to this program. <laughs> <laughs> it won't take long. It won't be long now. That and television will do it. How do they make those surveys? Well, nobody really knows. Those guys, those survey guys, you know, they can look in a cemetery, multiply it by an undertaker, and tell you how many people used to live in
3: Hackensack.
0: <laughs> oh, no picking on survey. I only wish... Uh, I only wish that Mr. Hooper owned a delicatessen. I would go in and untie all of the strings on the ends of his liverwurst. Are you getting excited? Yes, I'm getting excited, and I think I'll get a paper. Well, let's take a walk down Main All right, let's go. <laughs> Well, this little column at the top here says this is National Heart Week. Open your heart for the American Heart Association. Oh, I'll have a slogan. Really? A slogan? This week, hearts are troubled. Oh, that's good. I'll send that to Mr. Weaver. He's on the committee. Hey, look at this other story here. A professor says that an advertisement hypnotized him into joining a book club. What do you know? The professor signed a book coupon without reading it. Do you think advertising makes people do things? Well, I haven't time to read this piece now. There's only one way to find out hurriedly. Let's ask some people as we're walking along Main Street. This man coming by wearing the kite tail for a necktie. Uh <laughs> pardon me, sir. Well, say Clag on to name son. Monsieur Clagone, that is. <laughs> Monsieur? We we mercy beaucoup, nasty pass. <laughs> Senator, what are you doing speaking French? Well, I had to welcome that French gratitude train. Me and Hildegard both made speeches. <laughs> I didn't know that you spoke French, Senator. Well, I speak French like a chateau. Who a cachet, soup plume, dammed, melaminade, lemonade souche. Say, that's real fluent. Now, what, uh, what does that mean? Who put the trombone in my ginger ale? <laughs> Fine. Son, you say that to a Frenchman, he'll just stand there and look at
3: you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, Senator, then, about our question, does advertising influence people? Do you, you got to advertise, son. A squeaky wheel gets all agreed. But son, that's... you got to let people know you're in business. Well, how do you mean? When a hen lays an egg, the rooster crows his head off. That's right. When a peacock lays an egg... The peacock gets up off the nest and quietly sneaks away. I see. That's why everybody eats hen's eggs and peacock eggs are a dime a dozen. (laughs) Well, do you you think advertising lives up to its promises? It sure does, son, and I can prove it. Fifty years ago, a young boy saw an ass. How to be the life of the party. Learned to play the piano in ten easy lessons. And he learned to play the piano? Yes, son. That boy was Harry Truman. And thanks to the... (laughs) Thanks to that ad. Today, Harry's the life of the party. The Democratic Party, that
3: is.
0: Well, come on, come on, Portman. What are you looking at? The sign in the candy store. What sign? Norwegian banana split. What is a Norwegian banana split? In between the bananas. That's a sardine. Oh, that's the. <laughs> hey, you know, in Norway, they'll do anything with a sardine, I say. Say, look who's crossing the street. Hi, that's Moody. Hi, Mr. Moody. Hold it up. <laughs> hey, is your, uh, your arm in a sling? Is that the hand caught in the milking machine? Oh. Your <laughs> hand in the milking machine? The fingers is 18 inches long. Uh, Sergeant, uh, doesn't, bo- doesn't it bother you? Only when I scratch myself.
3: <laughs>
0: oh, your your fingers are so long. I scratch past the place to reach it.
3: <laughs> well, Titus,
0: uh, do you think advertising influences people? Why, some advertising can get you into a heap of trouble. You uh, you had an experience? Yes. Back in 29, I see an ad in the Breeders' Gazette. What, uh, what was the ad? It said, join the Book of the Day Club. The Book of the Day Club? Uh, if you joined the club, you'd get a book every day, yes? And absolutely free, you'd get the complete works of Pussyfoot Johnson. <laughs> you, uh, you joined the club? I signed with the salesman 20 years ago. Yes? So far, I've paid him $2,000. <laughs> yeah? For 20 years, every day a book's been coming. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the whole house, the whole house and the backyard is full of books.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You say $2,000, your house and your backyard are filled with books? <laughs> what are you laughing about? The joke's on that salesman. Why? I can't read. So long, <laughs> in the hardware store window. What card? It says, Bear Grease. Fifty cents a card. Oh, what's so funny about Bear Grease? Who would want to grease a bear? <laughs> who knows? I've heard of a man being well-oiled. It might be done by the same. Look who just turned the call. Oh, Mrs. Nussbaum. Say, you're wearing your evening gown. I'm seeing a play. Oh, really? What, what play? Diamond Jill. Diamond. <laughs> With uh, Mae West? Is Mae West an actress? You're, uh, you're asking me? I'm telling you. Oh, <laughs> They say Mae West is a raving beauty. In May West's hands, men are seemingly putty. I've heard that. that. In Diamond Chill is enough putty, May West could fix him in the Empire State building every window. It's another well, I take it that you like the show. Oh, when well, May West is saying, What's on your mind, good looking? Come up and sing us some fun. The audience is going wild with crazy.
3: Well,
0: <laughs> it sounds wonderful to me. Tell me, Mrs. Nursum, do you think people are influenced by advertising? It's coming to mind one such person. Oh, a friend? Think of their old Tannenbaum. <laughs> so, what happened? In a movie magazine, Hollywood Hustle. Yeah. <laughs> Tinkerbell is seeing an ad, Home Permanent. As she bought the equipment to give herself a permanent wave at home, Tinkerbell is following and in... Portland, Main Street is starting to look like the snake pit. You haven't found out much about advertising, have you? No, I I tell you what I'll do. I'll try one more specimen. This little man bouncing along, wearing the head of Like Ali <laughs> No, frankly, you look a little tired, eh, uh... Jack? Eat anything, wear anything, or smoke anything he's seen advertised. Advertising, sort of hypnotizing, eh? One time, Pee Wee seen an ad, learn Hindustan. And he learned to speak Hindustan. Oh, oh Pee Wee was wearing a bright green turban, smoking a water pipe, and he hired a Hindu to talk to. Yes, to to, huh? <laughs> Another time, Pee Wee seen an ad, Come to Friendly Quebec. Yeah. It was the middle of winter. Yeah. <laughs> Penzique Quebec was 40 below zero. <laughs> yes? Pee Wee throws three toads in his thermos bottle.
3: <laughs>
0: Pee Wee had no advertising resistance. Oh, that was Pee Wee Muldoon's own fault. How? Oh. One day he seen an ad complete funeral, $50, flowers included. And <laughs> Pee Wee Muldoon dropped dead. <laughs> for a minute the street. Uh, wait a minute. The man in the music store is putting on a record. Or oh, a record? It's Al Goodman and his orchestra and the five tobacco sisters. Say, hey, what is the song? I've got my love to keep me warm. Listen. Oh, the snow is snowing, the wind is blowing. but I can weather the sun. But do I care how if they hmm.
3: I'm do but a I've got
0: my love to I you, I can If I fall, I've got my love to keep me warm. i with my blood I need no other gold. i burn with my Kenny Delmar is coming across the street. Hi, Kenny. Say, what's new? What's new, haven't you heard? The new Ford has just received the Fashion Academy Gold Medal Award as America's Fashion Car of the Year. The Fashion Academy Gold Medal Award? You for say? the past 20 years, the Fashion Academy has been selecting America's best dressed women. Oh, you mean the new Ford is America's best dressed car? Well, maybe I'd better read you part of the letter announcing the award. Oh. The Fashion Academy says this choice was made on the basis of excellence in design and style appeal for women. Full of the new trends in fashion and the important part women play in choosing their family car, the 1949 Ford embodies all the essential qualities of good taste, modern design, and subtle harmony in line and color. It is indeed a compliment to the style conscious woman who will recognize and appreciate the flattering background it provides for her best-dressed appearance. Hey, that's great, Kenny. You know, I think I'll stop in the Ford here now and congratulate you. Oh, you won't find him in now, Fred. He's out shopping with his wife. Oh, his wife is helping him get some new clothes? No, he's helping her get some new clothes. Since the new Ford was picked as the fashion car of the year, she won't buy a thing without consulting him first. So long, Fred. So long, Kenny. See you later. nice night. How about taking a walk up town? Well, I'll have to exchange this book for Mama. What's wrong with the book? There's a hole in the cover. Oh. Mama says it looks like a wormhole. A wormhole? What's the name of the book? The Big Fisherman. Oh. His face must have gotten away, I guess, and got out of the car. Well, I'll see you later, Portland. Good night. Good night. Well, I guess I... Say, this man coming out of that lunch wagon looks just like Jack Igan. Oh, Fred! Dr. Rockwell, I thought (laughs) I... Doc, I uh, I thought you were up in Maine practicing law. Well, I had to give up my law practice temporarily, Fred. Really? What, uh, What happened? Well, you know how it is in Maine in the winter. Wild animals roaming the streets. Yes, there's a bear hibernating in my office. A bear in your office. Uh, say, when you get your office back, it's going to be a little, uh, a little gamey in there. Oh, no, Fred. <laughs> oh, no, this is a cinnamon bear. Oh, a cinnamon bear. Whether I had a grizzly in there, it was a little pungent. Well, I guess there uh, is. Was... <laughs> Tell me, what, uh, what are you doing now? Why, I'm on the way down to Washington to solve this tax problem. How? Simple, Fred. You take all that tax money and you build schools. Building schools will solve the tax problem. Look, yes. The more schools you build, the more people you educate. The yes. more people you educate, the more money they make. The more money they make, the more money the government takes away from them for taxes. In other words, if you go to school, you end up with no money. <laughs> well, that's what right, Fred, today it pays to be ignorant. Well... <laughs> Doc, now that you've solved the tax problem, I'm going to work on unemployment. Unemployment? Unemployment is right here now, Fred. You take up in Maine. A man starts digging a hole in the street. Yeah. In normal times, three men stop to watch him. I see. Last week, I saw a man digging a hole in the street. Four men stop to watch him. Four men? Yes, sir. And that fourth man means unemployment. (laughs) What about the other three men? Well, uh, they were bums. The fourth man had a toothpick in his mouth. He just ate Oh, I see.
3: <laughs> well,
0: gosh, Doc, the world is sure confused. Well, don't worry about it, Fred. When the Marshall Plan runs out of other countries to take care of, it'll finally start taking care of us in this country. <laughs> well, Doc, what? what about that Marshall Plan? Well, they're sending too many different commodities overseas. One thing would do the trick. One thing? Yes, it's chewing gum. Oh, now, wait a minute, Doc. <laughs> How can chewing gum help European countries? Well, it'll build up their dollar credit, kill communism, teach democracy and free enterprise. How? Well, first of all, chewing gum teaches a person to share. Yes? When you finish chewing gum, what do you do? You stick it under a theater seat for somebody else. Now, that's democracy. <laughs> Democracy? Why you get the gum on your coat? It smears all over your pants. That's a very idea, Fred. In America today, four million dry cleaners, and their families are being supported by chewing gum. That's what we call free enterprise. Uh, the four million dry cleaners support a lot of butchers, grocers, shoemakers, and booms business all the way down the line. That's America, Fred. Thanks to chewing gum, everybody sticks together. (laughs) Gosh, Doc, solving all the nation's problems, when do you have time to take care of your law practice? Well, my small cases, I turn over to Mr. District Attorney. Oh, the little Big ones, I handle myself. (laughs) Well, Doc, you know what? I'd like to see you trying one of those cases up there in Maine sometime. Well, you've gotten all the tricks, Fred. Now, just last week, I had a case. As I walked into the courtroom. Uh, Hi, Ruth. She's out of the judge. Hi, Ruth. Hi, Ruth. Order in the court. Order in the court. Quiet, quiet back then in the court. First case, the town of Possum Pond versus Harvey Tubbs. And the charge here says M-I-R. Murder. Charge. Uh, Order in the court. Harvey Tubbs to the bar. Harvey charge here says you're shot unto the death one Dr. Gidney, M.D. Now, you guilty or not guilty, Harvey? Well, you're supposed to tell me, kid. Oh, say, that's right, ain't it? Last case I had, trying them communists mixed me up. They was telling me what to do in here. Some Professor Doxy with his mask had me going. Well, stand down, Harvey. Yeah. Call your first witness, lawyer Rockwell. Zeb Skinner to the bar. Come in, come in. Now, Zeb, hold, hold on. on. Hold on, don't start talking till I get my hearing device turned on. <laughs> Rockwell, Rockwell, help Zeb turn on his hearing device. Zeb, uh, lift up your coat. Where's the wire? You See, I'm on fire. <laughs> Put me on. Now, <laughs> Rockwell, ain't Zeb turned on yet? He's turned on, Judge, but he isn't plugged in. (laughs) Well, plug him in. We got to get going with the trial. All right? There, there. Now, now, can you hear Zeb? He's coming in clear as a bell. (laughs) Hope no good humor, man, this now. Proceed, proceed, Rockwell. Zeb, you're the owner of the Eagle Hotel. Don't raise your voice. I be. He's (laughs) here. Do you, uh, you know the defendant, Harvey Tubbs?
11: Yeah.
0: Harvey's been staying at my hotel since he caught the sleeping sickness. I see. And what do you know about the murder? Well, it was Saturday night. I'd just come out of the sink and was drying myself with the desk water. <laughs> I I heard somebody shaking the front door. And uh, who was it? Sheriff Pruitt. Well, Sam. Oh, hold on. I blew a fuse. Uh, <laughs> nothing. Unplug Zeb Rockwell. Look, if he can't hear nothing, he'll hold up the trial. Come on, Zeb. You're all finished. Who's eating spinach? Okay. <laughs> come on, come on. Sit down, Zeb. Sparks are coming out of your windbreaker. Get yep. down. Come on, your next witness, lawyer Rockwell. Sheriff, throw it to the bar. Make way for the law. Stay back, room. do boomerang in the billies, <laughs> Hey, uh, where were you when Dr. me was murdered? I was in Perkins' pool parlor. Perkins' pool parlor? Perkins and me was having a game of eight balls. I see. Perkins only has eight balls. If you want to play anything else, you've got to use apples. If you are you bad. Perkins will let you use cantaloupe. Watch well, details, Sheriff. Now what happened? Well, I was just putting some chalk onto my billy when the bullet came flying through Perkins' front window. A bullet, you say? I could tell the bullet had come from the Eagle Hotel and ran over and started looking for clues. And uh, what did you find? So when I come to Harvey's tub room, Doctor Gidney was laying on the floor dead, yeah. and Harvey was stretched out on the bed, sound asleep. Sound <laughs> asleep, you say? If Harvey hadn't snored dead, we would have buried both of them. Well, no. <laughs> Did you find anything suspicious in Harvey's room, Sheriff? Yeah, I found a full cup of coffee and two guns on the table. Well, both guns were loaded, but neither gun had been fired. Hey, that's mighty baffling, Sheriff. Now, what you do? I pinned a note on Harvey saying, Dear Harvey, when you wake up you are under arrest, Find yours, Tony Sheriff it. And then I went to break the news to Mona Snides. Oh, hold on now, Mona Snide. Is... Mona, was will stop getting his nerves. Oh, well, nice going, Sheriff. Stand down. Okey-bee-bee-dokey, Judge. <laughs> <laughs> Anything happened yet? I ain't plugged in. I'm in trouble, Get away from the bank. Go away, Sheriff. Oh, <laughs> well, hush your fuck down Witness. Next witness, Rockwell. Mona Snide to the bar. I got some money grub, kid. You're in mourning, Mona. Did it punk what's up into you? Stop giving me with fiction to a loaf. Oh, and now the wedding's off. You can't fry your fat when the fire's out, kid. No, <laughs> The meeting's over when the tambourines laid down, isn't it? it would have been a perfect match, kid. Doc Gidney was a doctor and I'm a nurse. You were both in medicine? And ready to socialize. Mona, hey, uh, when did you first meet Dr. Gidney? Why, the day he came to keep Harvey Tubbs, I was Harvey's nurse. Uh, what was wrong with Harvey, Mona? Sleeping sickness, Yeah. Hey, uh, Doc Gidney and me were treating Harvey together to keep him away. Hey, yeah, uh, And uh, what was the treatment, Mona? Block coffee on the hour, and noise, as prescribed. Noise? Noise, eh? To wake Harvey up to breakfast, Dr. Gidney would shoot off two guns. Then he'd give Harvey a cup of black coffee. Ah, that explains the two guns in Harvey's room. Now, Mona, how did you and Dr. Gidney happen to fall in love? Well, when Harvey go to sleep, Dr. Gidney would fill his test tubes with water... And he say, "I love you truly." Give me the test tubes with his scalpel. You decided to elope. If,
3: if
0: Harvey hadn't shot. Hold on, hold on, Mona. Don't say that word, shot. Now, it's been proved in court that Harvey shot Doctor Gidney. There are two loaded guns, but neither gun has been fired. There's another gun here. Another gun? Where is it, Mona? Right here in the booter bag. Oh, she's got it. When I, my, when I went to get my my first aid kid out, the murder. What? I found this saw under Harvey's pillow. And there's been a shot fired from it, Judge. Hell, now we're getting someplace, Rockwell. Stand down, Mona. Oh, you yes. uh, Judge. I can't hear nothing. What time is the hanging? Plug me in. Uh, later, later, Judge. <laughs> oh, <way> there. <laughs> Interfering with uh, the child. Harvey Tubbs to the bar. Uh, uh, come in, Judge. I'm trying to stay awake. Harvey, was this gun under your pillow the day of the murder? Why, uh, Harvey's asleep, Judge. It's that sleeping sickness, Rockwell. You got the gun there. Wake him up. Okay, Judge. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Doctor get I'm awake. Where's my black coffee? <clears throat> Harvey, wanna oh, Says nice. she found this gun under your pillow. Oh, well, I reckon she did, Judge. But that gun ain't mine. Now, whose gun is it? Well, lawyer Rockwell. Uh, lawyer Rockwell. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Judge, I can explain everything. Well, it looks Honor. mighty suspicious, Rockwell, you get to explain it. I loaned that gun to Harvey. He wanted the gun to fire to keep himself awake when nobody was there. What was you doing in Harvey's room? Harvey called me to make out his will. His will? Harvey was in love with Mona, too, Judge. He wanted to leave her all his money. His money, eh? Harvey's loaded, Judge. Yeah. Before Harvey got the sleeping sickness, he was head accountant at the stockyard. Stockyard? That's where Harvey got the sleeping sickness. Well, how? It was income tax time. Well, Harvey had to take inventory. For three weeks, Harvey counted the cows and the steers. Yeah. Then he started counting the sheep. Every day for four weeks, Harvey did nothing but count sheep. One night, they found Harvey and the sheep pond, slumped over his adding machine. <laughs> sleeping sickness had set in. And Harvey was through at the stop yard, Well, the company gives him a small pension, Judge. And all the lamb chops he can eat, but his life's ruined. Uh, well, what's right, all this got to do with Dr. Gidney's murder, Rockwell? Dr. Gidney uh, was afraid if Harvey could stay awake long enough, he proposed to Mona. Yeah. Uh, so Dr. Gidney had to keep Harvey from staying away. You mean? Dr. Gidney always woke Harvey up in the morning by firing two shots and giving him a cup of black coffee. Yeah. Uh, These two guns found at home were still loaded. Proving they weren't shot this morning. True. This cup of black coffee found at Harvey's bedside hasn't been touched. Yeah? There's your solution, Judge. That cup of coffee? It looks like coffee. It smells like coffee. It tastes like coffee. And it ain't coffee? No, Judge. It's Sanker. Sanker? Yes, sir. This cup of Sanker would give the average man a good night's sleep. But Harvey, with his sleeping sickness, wouldn't wake up for two weeks. Jeepers. Dr. Gidney knew with Harvey asleep he could elope with Mona Snyder. And Harvey suspected something was rotten in Denver, eh? So Harvey took one step of the calling and knew Dr. Gidney was up to something. He reached for his gun. And as Dr. Gidney turned to leave, Harvey shot him through the telescope. Well, I... Nice. <laughs> Do both of him, eh? Well, yeah, sure enough, enough. I sure enough do. Judge, I demand a writ of metamorphosis. This case should be dismissed. The, the court can't proceed. What's gonna stop the court from proceeding, Rockwell? It's copper sanka. is right, Rockwell. If it ain't coffee, the court's got no crown. Case dismissed. <laughs> I'm plugged in now. When's the trial gonna <laughs> start? Got news for you, Zeb. Court oh, thank
3: you, <laughs>
0: Before we put out the lights in the showroom, here's something every truck operator should know. When you invest in a new Ford truck, you get a truck that's bonus built, built extra strong to last longer. That's true of all the 139 models in the new Ford line, a line that includes the biggest trucks Ford has ever built. Get all the facts from your Ford dealer tomorrow. Next week, our guest will be Miss Gracie Field. Thank you and good night. Good night.